And that might, I think that's okay. Because I think the world probably has enough astronauts. <laughs> and I think the vacancy for Superman is filled. So I think that's probably okay, because our worldview when we're five is quite small, and we only know a few things, and most of them seem very exciting. And life moves on from there. As we grow, our choices change and move on too, and we set, up imagining, set off imagining one thing, and we end up somewhere different. And I think that's all right. And most of us have started out following Jesus in our lives. We've said yes to following Jesus. We've started out walking with him and, and going along a route where we know that he's our Lord and our Savior. We know he's rescued us. We know he's given us new life. We know we've got hope in him that lasts forever. And we've set out on the journey of following Jesus. We're living in relationship with him. At least that's where we started. And we know that the life he gives is the best life of all. How's it going? We started well. We trust we'll finish well. But we're in this middle bit, somewhere in between. And I just want to ask, how's it going? In, in Hebrews, we, we, in Hebrews 12, there's a whole lot of stories. been a whole lot of stories in Hebrews 11 about great people of faith who did amazing things. And Hebrews 12 starts with the thought that we should run the race and not give up, that we should keep on going, that we should persevere. And I'll come back to that thought a little bit later on. I don't know if you've any, any of you been watching the athletics recently. It's not been a great week or so for Great Britain, but we did win a gold last night. Last night was fabulous, wasn't it? Apart from poor old Usain Bolt pulling up. I empathize with him. No, I don't, because I, I don't understand what it's like to run in the <laughs> athletics championships, but it looked great for our guys coming in. Richard, you were a runner, weren't you? Richard was. You were a runner? Yeah, did... Talk to Richard if you want to know more about running and how what God's done in his life since then and how God transformed your life. But uh, God, it's just amazing to see these guys and, and girls running and putting their all into it. And I, I didn't watch any of the long-distance races this time. Um, but I know, when I have done, uh, the, the, the start is exciting and the end's exciting, but there's this whole bit in the middle, which is, which is kind of really important. Uh, we can focus on the start and be really excited about the start of the race. Uh, this recent athletics championships, I don't know if you've seen them, but the races have been, the racers have come out with fireworks going off and you know, the little bit on the floor that says stop, smile and wave as they, as they come out from their tunnel. Uh, and they stand to the adulation of the crowd. It's great. And they get started and we're all excited. And, and at the end, it's all exciting because they're jostling for position. And will Mo Farah get the gold? No, he's got the silver. But still, it's been amazing. But there's this bit in between where unless you get from the beginning to the end, you're not going to be in the end at all. You're just not going to make it. And I want to talk today about remaining resolute about getting from the beginning to the end and keeping going in the middle and how we do that. And I want to encourage you today. You see, we're in August, you may have noticed, which means we've got a bit of the year left to go. We're not at the end yet, so this isn't a finishing talk. But it's not a beginning talk either. It's the middle of a year-ish. We're, in fact, a little bit over halfway. And so my encouragement is, yes, for the year, but much more for life generally and following Jesus. My starting point is this, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. One verse that says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus 
here has just predicted his death. The disciples are beginning to wake up and see who he is for the first time. He's done some amazing things. But he's just begun saying, guys, I need to go. I need to go and die and rise again for you and for the world. And so Jesus, in this verse, sets off resolutely to Jerusalem. And I think it's clear from that verse that Jesus knew what time it was. I'm not a sportsman. I don't know what it's like to play football professionally. But the, the new season has started. And I guess if you're a player, you have a rough awareness of the time. You, it would be quite helpful to know because there's a lot of goals scored just at the end of half time or just at the end of full time. And it seems as though people are throwing themselves into the match at that moment. I guess there's a rough idea of what the time is as you're going through a match. Maybe it's the crowd. Maybe you can see the clock. Maybe you've got an idea yourself. But it's helpful to know the time. And, and this is one thing where perhaps we're not so good and we don't have an advantage because for many of us, we don't know what time it is. I heard a preacher once give a really challenging message because the message was to people over 40. And I was over 40 because I am. And he talked about how actually for most of us in the room, in the game of life, we're past half time. The whistle's blown. We're in the second half. And it was challenging because you suddenly go, oh yeah, I probably am actually. And some of you are in extra time. And it's okay, isn't it? And you're still in the game. And you're still enjoying it. And you're still giving it your best. But for most of us, actually, the truth is that we don't know what time it is. We don't know until the whistle goes and the match is over. And we're called home. We don't know what time it is. And so Jesus has an advantage in one sense because he knows that something has shifted and now his ministry isn't just amongst the people. He's setting out resolutely toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem means the cross. Jerusalem means death. Jerusalem means sacrifice. Jerusalem means giving his all. Jesus was resolute. He was determined. The actual wording that's behind the English words here, New Testament's written in Greek, the actual wording is that he set his face. He's setting his face on going to Jerusalem. It's the same words that are used in verse 51, 52, and 53, even though our translation doesn't have setting his face in it. But that's what he's actually doing. He's, he's orientating himself towards the goal, and he's setting out in that direction. I want to see today, to help us, some things that can sidetrack us when we've set our face somewhere and we're setting off on the journey, some things that then can come in and, and take us off course. And thirdly, we see really quickly that Jesus wasn't living for himself. This is not, as five-year-olds are encouraged, to dream big dreams. This is not someone living out the ideal dream of their life. What would you love to be when you grow up? Well, I'd love to go to Jerusalem and die for everybody. That probably wasn't you know, kind of there in Jesus as a five-year-old, as a, as a hope and an admiration and what he'll tell when he gets onto X Factor one day. Jesus is living to a higher call and a higher cause. He's not seeking his own fulfillment, but following his Father's will, living in communion with God, his Father, and setting out resolutely to follow him. The call is just the same on our lives. 
Just the same magnitude, just the same significance. If we've said yes to following Jesus, the call to live for, G- for him is just as exciting and just as life-changing as it was for Jesus. The call to give our all in following Jesus. The call to live as a child of the King. The call to walk into our workplaces, to walk into our homes, into our families, to live as God's child and live our lives for him. If you've not yet chosen to live that way, or not said yes to following Jesus, or you've not thought about it that way, and actually becoming a Christian was about just getting to heaven when you die and you know, just trying to get through the next bit quietly, then I would encourage you to, to say yes to Jesus again today. To say yes to living a life of adventure for him, where you're saying, I'm living for your call, and I'm living for your cause. I'm setting my face on, on following you. Because there is no better way to live. There's no better way to live than to live for Jesus Christ. He is amazing. He's alive. And he loves us today. And he wants us to follow him. I believe that each of us has been called into a relationship where we walk with God day after day after day. And I think that's really attractive. I've just come back from holiday and uh, talking of attractive things, we had a wonderful view from our cottage where we're saying some of you will recognize this because some of you have stayed in the same cottage. And this isn't the cottage, this is the view from the cottage taken by me, this photo, uh, looking out across the balcony one gloriously sunny day. I looked at that view and thought, you know what, I'd like to go for a walk up there. And I got the map out and I plotted a route and I went on a walk. And I'll tell you a little bit about the walk in a minute. But it's a beautiful view out of the window. Jesus, kind of two themes are going to run through as I just unpack this quickly. My walk, which is brief and, and not massively challenging, and Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, which is rather more challenging in our lives. But hopefully we can cope with the light and fluffy with the serious at the same time. Jesus is setting out for Jerusalem. And he sets his course, but it's important to note that other routes are available. Jesus did have other options of how he could live his life. His family, at one point, didn't believe him and suggested that he went to Jerusalem sort of in search of fame and glory. Encouraged him to go to where the crowds were. Encouraged him to go and preach in front of the crowds and heal the sick in the middle of Jerusalem. Because after all, if he wanted to be famous and wanted to save the world, that's where he should go, shouldn't he? And they told him to go to the feast. The fame and glory route is a popular one today. Today we are encouraged to follow our dream, to live our dream. You can be anything. You can do anything. Sounds exciting. Sounds intoxicating. But it's very much centered on me. The call to live a happy life is an empty call. That's not a fulfilling life to live with my sole desire on being happy. There's so much more to life than that, than just satisfying me. Because as I could tell you when I was five, if someone said, well, just do whatever makes you happy, that would be really dangerous to a five-year-old. And I'm not five now, but it would still be quite dangerous today. Because our hearts lead us into things that aren't good for us at times, because what makes us happy isn't necessarily what's right for us. Jesus could also have followed the route of political revolution. 
One of his followers, one of his disciples, was a guy called Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a political force to be reckoned with. They were the kind of politi- on the terrorist wing of politics, if you like. Uh, and Jesus could have followed that route. He could have been a zealot, a political activist, a terrorist. Always popular with some parts of society, those looking for a radical solution. Jesus could have brought in a radical solution. He could have restored Israel politically, tried to overthrow the Romans. He could have been a spiritual leader, a rabbi who taught a bit and left us some wise words to follow and just had a fairly quiet life. Again, an attractive option. He could have gone to all sorts of places and done all sorts of things, but Jesus chose to set his face on Jerusalem, even though other routes were available. He's following a higher call, as are we. And it's the same with following Jesus. When we're following Jesus, other routes will be available to us. We'll see them. You'll go to work and you'll go home and you'll notice that your neighbors or your colleagues or folks at school are living life differently. And at times, as you chart their success and they have a lottery win or they do something else, you think, wow, wouldn't that be nice? A bit of that lifestyle, wouldn't that be great? What we tend to do is chart the highs and compare our lows with their highs and go, oh, perhaps I'm on the wrong route. I just want to encourage you, if you set out following Jesus, you're on the right route. Whether it feels high or feels low, God is with us in both of those times and you are heading in the right direction if you've set out to follow Jesus. It's important to disregard the other routes that other people have taken for their lives. Other routes will always be available. It's possible to compare and to look and to watch your neighbors and go, I wonder what would have happened if I'd taken a different life. But if it's a life that doesn't involve following Jesus first, then it's the wrong route. Our lives will always look different as we follow him. Different choices, different priorities, different ways we deal with our finances, different ways we deal with our relationships and our career. Everything's different. I went on a little walk, and this is a, a map, a picture just culled off the Ordnance Survey website. But, but as I looked at the map, it was quite clear to me that, that which route I should go. And in doing the route I chose, I ignored all the carefully prepared walks that were available in the cottage. Beautifully laminated, ready and waiting for me. I thought, no, I know a better route. A route I want to go on. And so I could have gone on different routes, but I chose my own course. I wanted to go my own way. So I encourage you with this thought, that when you've set out on your course, there will always be opposition and failure. Isn't that exciting? Well, it might be comforting, at least, that you're not on your own. It might be comforting to think that the times you've come up against opposition, it wasn't necessarily a mistake to go the way you were going. The very next verse after the Bible says Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, we set out resolutely, it says this, And he sent messengers on ahead. He went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. I'm not very good at failure. I'm quite good at getting there, but I'm not very good at what I feel about it when I get there. I don't know if you feel the same. Failure eats away at us. Opposition gnaws at us. When we set out on a course and three or four people that are... 10 people that you trust say, yeah, it's not a good idea. 
It's important to listen to wise counsel. And there are times when less wise counsel chips in and it still eats away at you. And there's times when you try something and you give it your all and you give it your best shot and it doesn't work. And many of us have been in those times and, and sometimes those things are really important and we feel like we've failed at them. What we do in those moments is significant for us and for our future. We can be following the right course and yet still fail along the way. It's important to get up and to keep going in the right direction still. To not let opposition and failure put us off. Jesus doesn't let the opposition that's there or the kind of sort of failure put him off from going to Jerusalem. He continues to go anyway. There will always be times when we don't measure up. When things don't work as we thought. I wonder what would have happened if this had been us. I'm concerned that if it had been me, I, I might have set my face on going to Jerusalem, gone into the first village or sent messengers ahead to, to go into the first village and, and heard that actually the whole village was against me because I was going to Jerusalem. And I, I might have reconsidered my course of action. Being honest with you. I might have reconsidered and gone, well, it's not going very well so far, is it? Perhaps I better rethink. Now, I hope that I still would have gone to Jerusalem, but I think initially there would have been that conversation going on in my mind saying, am I sure this is the right way? Because most of us are keenly affected by failure and opposition, but failure doesn't mean the end of following God. My, my little walk I went on. There was a reason why there were no maps of it in the cottage. It was clearly marked out on the map. Proper green dotted lines for my footpaths. This, just here, is a stile. Um, somewhere, I can't even see it on here. There's a plank of wood going across a field, uh, going across a, a fence just here-ish. Uh, that's one of the styles. You can see that it's not a route that is often walked, this particular route. Um, I've got bruises to show for it. Um, it's been a while. The styles were blocked. The, fence, the fences were blocked. The styles were hidden. The route wasn't clear. And there's times when we set out in life that opposition comes. And we can wonder, what am I doing? Am I going the right way? Now, on, on my little walk I went on, the style was there. It was the right route. And, and eventually, with a bit of backwards and forwards and tra retracing my steps a couple of times, I got to the finish line uh, and kept on the green dotted lines most of the way which indicated the path. I wish they were on the ground. That would have been really helpful. Um, but sometimes when we get up against opposition, it's easy just to go, do you know what? I'm done. We'll, we'll retrace our steps and we'll go back home. But when you're following Jesus, that isn't an option. It's not the right option to back up and go, do you know what? It was easier not following Jesus. I'm just going to pack it all in. Because it might look easier for a time, but that route doesn't lead us to the place of blessing that God wants us to be in. It doesn't lead us in a place of fellowship with him. It doesn't lead us in a place of following Christ, abandoned to his call and to his cause, whatever the cost. Adapting the route away from following Jesus is never the right thing. Hebrews 12, which I mentioned earlier, says this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. A little bit later on it says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If if you're feeling like you're growing weary and losing heart, this word is for you today. There will be opposition. Don't let it put you off. Keep on. We're quite good at enjoying other people's stories of perseverance. This is a Dyson vacuum cleaner. DC01, I'm told. Mr. Dyson, quite a wealthy man now, made a few prototypes before settling on this model. Does anybody have any idea how many prototypes of this vacuum cleaner he made? Guess, anybody? 20, 100. I'm told, if you look it up, Wikipedia is the source of all things knowledgeable these days. And you can verify this in other sources. 5,127 prototypes of that. 5,127 prototypes. That's a lot of vacuum cleaning. Ten years more with several commercial attempts to get to this. Now, we're quite, we tell the story of Edison and the light bulb. I quite like this one because a, a vacuum cleaner is a bit bigger and a bit more expensive. And you go, 5,000 versions of that to get to one that worked well enough that he was happy marketing it? And many of us get to a point of failure. We get to a a point where we've disappointed ourselves and we feel like we've disappointed others and perhaps we've disappointed God and we go, do you know what, I'm packing up. I'm never trying that again. Uh, I want you to to encourage you, next time you're doing the vacuum cleaning on this machine or something similar, to think about what it takes to keep going, to persist, to fail, but to trust God again. God's not scared of our failure in the same way that we are. Uh, Just moving on from there, I want to see that... um, Another part of the story that just follows on from this. And this is Jesus having set his face towards Jerusalem. This is the next little bit that happens. As they were walking on the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me go and bury my father first. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. A couple of simple points from this. There will always be excuses. Jesus said to another man, follow me, but the man replied, dot, 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 you can fill in the blank. Every person had a reason not to follow Jesus. And to each one of those people, the reasons sounded well thought through. They'd probably convinced themselves. They were trying to convince Jesus. Probably they'd convinced other people too that the reason for not following Jesus on that given day was a perfectly sensible one. The reasons sounded okay. My observation looking at that story and not getting into the reasons because I don't think we've got time today, but is that there's always a reason not to follow Jesus. And those reasons, are you can always argue them reasonably well. There's always a reason for not saying yes to God when God says, actually, would you deal with that? Or when you read the Word of God and it says something and it's always a reason to back away and work it around another way. Always a reason. You can often convince yourself that the reason you've got for not following God is a good one. And there's usually evidence out there to support your thinking or mine. But there's only one way to follow Jesus, which is with a close relationship with him 
and complete obedience to his call. That's it. It's the only way to do it. And excuses will crop up time and again, but I want to encourage you not to listen to your own excuses. That little walk I went on didn't happen on the day the sunny picture was taken. It happened on the day that picture was taken, which is somewhat less sunny. And it's still a lovely day, but it would have been very easy to wake up and, and go, having decided to go on the walk in the morning when I woke up early, to go, do you know what? I think I'll stay in bed. It's always easier to do something different than following Jesus in the moment. But I want to tell you that it's the most thrilling, most exciting way to live. And you know that. We know deep down that saying yes to Jesus in the face of all sorts of other opportunities is always the best way to live. And yet sometimes we make excuses. Final point is from this passage here, from Luke chapter 10. It's the next little bit of the story that goes on. Jesus is still on his way, still on the journey. And he and his disciples go to a village where there's a woman named Martha who opens her home. She's got a sister called Mary who sits at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary's chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Final point, I guess, when we set our faces to follow God is that there'll always be distractions. Jesus was invited into a home of Mary and Martha. Martha, if issued the invite, an unusual thing to do in that culture, given that she was a woman. Jesus and his gang were mainly men. Um, but we see a little bit later on in the story why that there was that invitation issued. Martha made that choice and invited them in. It was a great decision to make. Martha made the right choice in inviting Jesus. But that choice brought with it distractions. The distractions were, well, now I've got lots of work to do. She wanted to be with Jesus, wanted to welcome him into her home, wanted to provide, as some other women were doing, for the practical needs around the disciples, but now she feels responsible. And I know that when you feel responsible for something, the pressure can rise. And when the pressure rises, sometimes we're not nice people to be around because now we're under pressure because I'm responsible for something. The responsibility for caring for Jesus has taken over from the presence of Jesus in the room for Martha. She wants to do a good job. Now, I haven't got a picture of a walk to show you, but I do identify with Martha. See, I'm somebody who gets distracted. I remember vividly in primary school being quite young and being moved away from sitting near the window. I never sat near it again because I apparently was someone who used to gaze out of the window and get distracted rather than focusing on the deeply engrossing lesson that was going on at the time. I probably missed half a year, and probably it's affected me ever since. So if you get the opportunity to focus, don't look out the window. But I was one, that's why the chairs are angled in, so you can't look out the window so easily. I get distracted, and maybe you do too. I get distracted at times from following Jesus. I get distracted at times from the presence of God even when I'm doing things for God because I'm responsible for the stuff I'm doing for him and I forget him. So what's happened to Martha. She's done a great thing. She said, come to my home. Great thing to do. But now with Jesus there, 
She's focusing on her service for him, not on him. And it's possible to do both. That's the point. It is possible to serve and enjoy the presence of God. This isn't a story that's telling us about the kind of people that do work and the kind of people that sit around all day. It's not that story. The story is that it's possible to recognize the presence of Jesus wherever we are and do both. But Martha's not there. Jesus has to remind Martha in this story that one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what's better and it will not be taken away from her. Now this, we can, I could talk about this another time. It's a radical passage. Mary's been invited into discipleship. She's sitting at Jesus' feet, which is the same as Paul sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. This is a woman disciple of Jesus, uh, not one of the 12 apostles, but she's being discipled as a disciple, and she's sitting there at the feet of Jesus. This is a profound passage with social ramifications. That's not Jesus' point on this day. Jesus' point on this day is that enjoying and being in his presence and, and taking notice of him, that walk of discipleship is better than just doing jobs for God. That The walk of discipleship that Mary is on actually encompasses doing jobs for God, but it doesn't Doing jobs for God don't kind of measure up if that's all you're going to do. That God doesn't just want us to do jobs for him. He wants us to follow him devotedly with all of our lives. So where have we gone today? We started with Jesus. Setting his face for Jerusalem. And it just may be the case that in some of our lives, stuff's cropped up and it's distracted us, it's discouraged us, it's told us that we've failed We've looked at other people's journey and we've gone, wow, that looks so more exciting, much more exciting than mine. And we've lost the focus for a little while. It, it may be just that we've, we've begun to excuse certain things in our own lives. It may be that we've failed and it's just still affecting us. And I wanted to encourage us today that it's possible to remain resolute. It's possible to focus on the goal and to keep on towards Jerusalem, not in our own strength, but with God's help, because he's with us in the fire and the flood. There are all sorts of reasons not to follow God, not to live for Jesus, to live for ourselves instead. I don't think we're those kind of people who want to do that. I think deep within us is a desire to follow Jesus. I think deep within us is a desire to say yes to him again and again and again. And at times we fall down. My encouragement is stand up. God's with you. He's not let us go. He's watching over us. He's walking with us and encouraging us along the journey that he might say to us one day, well done. Whistle blows. We did well. Shall we pray?